at one time I didn't understand how crazy the story was because it was so normal to me. And so I would tell people like about it and they, and then their jaw would drop and and I, and then I'd realize, oh, something's not right here. And I said something wrong. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that this was like way worse than what I, and I just wasn't processing, you know, and it took me till I got to my thirties to start really processing it. And so it's a doozy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm ready. Everybody can bear up because let's forget. Oh, today's guest is a true survivor, a woman who has overcome sexual and religious abuse, trafficking and exploitation. She's still navigating the religious trauma that comes with surviving high-control religions and people. And Angela's story really centers around one man who was a former youth pastor and she met through Calvary Chapel. He spent years of his life manipulating her, her family, and her friends, and now he's serving a life sentence. So Angela, welcome and thank you for being willing to share your story with me today. Sure. Let's let's just dive into it. Where where does this story really kick off for you? So, just a little bit of a background. Um, my family, uh, I come from a family of church hoppers, and so um, we ended up at Calvary Chapel because um, a church that we had been going to is a really tiny little church. It disbanded, and um, I, a friend I went to school with. Um, I was about 14 years old. Um, she invited me to her church and it was a Calvary chapel in Georgia. And, uh, I, I went and I thought, oh, this is so cool. They have a coffee shop. You remember the coffee shops in the early 2000s and everything, late nineties. Um, so they were cool and they had guitars and drums, which is another thing that I thought was cool. And, uh, so uh, I told my parents about it and they went and their idea was, oh, we're going to try out each church for two weeks and then we'll try, you know, and then figure out where we want to go. We just, this is the first one they tried and then they never left. And, um, my dad has a very big, like thing about people pleasing, especially the pastors of the church. Um, he wants to be best friends with them. He, he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. He thinks that if we leave the church for any reason, it's going to hurt their feelings and cares. He cares a lot about what they think over what his family thinks. So that's important to the story because red flags will pop up and he won't actually do something about it. Um, so we, we go to this church and uh, I remember when I went and visited with my friends to at this church, uh, the the man in question his name was Shane uh Shane uh actually walked up to us um he knew the girls already and um he did the the side hug the Christian side hug and he gave me the side hug too yeah the little side hug and um and he stood there and talked to us for a while and he did the thing where he's avoiding eye contact kind of looking above our heads but talking to us and um and lingering a lot and um and then even when he's going and when he he goes off and talks to other people he's still looking at us i noticed that because he stood out like a sore thumb uh he was somebody who wore a lot of colorful clothing um had uh hair that was uh frosted tips he just stuck out you know um 
he, when I started going to that church, he, I remember him asking us how old we all thought he was. And, uh, I remember I said 27 and somebody else said 25 and someone said 30 and he just said, yes, he didn't say what age he was. Turns out he was like 33. Um, yeah. And you were 14 at this time, right? Uh, well, we, well, we really started going on, I was 15. Yeah. I I just turned 15. Um, and, uh, he kind of, kind of, uh, stopped coming and then he would come back. He had a live-in girlfriend, which nobody in the, which is strange because no one in the church actually addressed that with him, which is something my dad felt. Why? I don't understand why nobody says something to him about that. Yeah. Um, and she had two young daughters, um, and they all lived at that house with him. Um, I, I do remember seeing them come to the church, um, and, you know, for, for uh, off and on for a couple of years, he came, um, and I didn't really see, like, I didn't really talk to him all that much, um, but I did see him, you know, trying to trying to talk to college kids and high school students and that kind of thing. He was he was a lingerer when it came to young people, but I assumed he was young as well. Right. You know, I, I hadn't disclosed his age. Right. I thought he was dating a much older woman. Right. You know. Um, and so, uh, he, and he was friendly with people at the church, um, Especially there was an elder at the church that he was real good friends with. And my, and everybody loved this elder. Um, he was a younger guy. Um, but everyone loved this guy. And it seemed like him and Shane were two pieces of God. Um, and um, so uh, around the age of 17, um, now my, my parents had started homeschooling my brothers and my sister years prior but i was still allowed to go to school um because i just wanted to go to school still but then in 11th grade i i got anxious i i now know that i have pretty bad anxiety and i got anxious about my grades um and there's there was a lot going on at home that um you know my my dad didn't really value my education and i felt like i was going to fail and um they had they started block scheduling and my math classes were going to be far apart. I started freaking out. I said, I want to be homeschooled. And my mom just goes, okay. And so she pulls me out of school in the middle of uh, 11th grade. And so then I'm freed up to uh, work days at Dairy Queen in the food court at the mall. And so then um, I'm out the church and I'm talking about it and here's Shane and um, I'm talking with a couple of the men of the church uh, because they were talking about sponsoring kids to go on youth mission trips so they were talking to me about that and he just kind of glommed on the conversation he walks over and he's talking and I'm talking about the jobs and I'm actually a paid uh, employee of the church I taught Sunday school to the toddler class and so I was talking about the work I was doing with ministry and I was talking about my job at Dairy Queen and I remember Shane goes well she seems like the most mature teenager I know Ooh, and yeah now knowing and, he was in his 30s saying that about a teenager is so gross 
It is gross. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that he said. Um, I remember being so flattered. I remember, I remember some things too that kind of took me aback, but I also was like, oh, he didn't mean it that way. And, you know, and I overlooked it. And now being a grown woman, I'm like, he knew what he was doing and I just took it, you know? And, um, he, he saw someone who had issues with their parents and, you know, um, so he started coming around my work a lot, uh, cause I worked at the mall in the food court and he started coming there. Um, I do remember when I was teaching Sunday school, um, and, and keep in mind, it wasn't really so much teaching Sunday school as it was like, like daycare work. It was, you know, they were playing in a classroom setting, but you know, so he would come in there and he'd just sit down on the floor and the pastor's wife finally came in there. She says, you can't be in here. Um, and he left. And, um, so I don't understand why that wasn't a red flag. Sure. Um, for them anyhow i mean she told him to leave yes but it's weird right um, that was the extent of it yeah that was the extent yeah. of her getting onto him about that um so yeah he started showing up at the mall um and i appreciated the attention and i thought it was uh like um a mentor thing and like he really wanted he really saw something um, he, he said things like, you, you have a light in you, um, you're going to do good things for God, um, you know, and, and my dad, you know, I have a complicated relationship with my dad to this day. Um, he's on medication now, so it's getting better. Um, but he he would say things to us uh, us kids like you're u- useless you're worthless um called us names depending on what infraction we had done and um very minor infractions sometimes uh so having some man tell me and, and an older man at that telling me that i was worth something and that i had you know i had there was something like special yeah yeah um, it was, it was really, it just really made, it, it made me be, you know? And, uh, so then, um, I, I started finding a little bit about his history, um, here and there. And I really, like, I found out about the youth pastor thing. He wasn't the youth pastor at that church. He was a youth pastor at a church in Tennessee when he had been married before. He had been previously married. And, um. And he never said the circumstances surrounding why he left or why he got divorced or any of that stuff. But, um, and so, uh, he, he had, he had been in his twenties when that happened. Um, and he didn't really tell me the circumstances about why that woman with her two kids left right away. Mm. Um, just that it didn't work out. Um, they were two different people. That's all he said. Um, so then, um, he decided he wanted to create a Bible study at his house and he wanted me to help him write the lessons and the Bible studies to do it. And so he convinced my parents very quite easily, um, 
to allow him to pick me up from work and take me to his house to create these Bible studies. And at first, it was us sitting at his kitchen table and talking about these things, like talking about, um, well, kind of, uh, it started out kind of, well, how do you want to do this? You know, who, who do we want to invite? And, and which was weird to me because I was like, well, we invite people at the church, right? You know, um, but he had a list of people and um, it turned out as people he thought were, were cool. We would, we would go to, we, I would end up talking to him about, um, like, stuff about the Bible study. Um, it would be like, oh, uh, you know, what do we want to talk about? Um, and then it turned into us talking about um, me and how I, uh, it was like an interview almost. And I, um, and I would be talking about trauma um that i had from a, a previous boyfriend um who i had uh lost my virginity to and my parents had found out and um i had been grounded for practically years um and um and i remember he got this strange look on his face almost narrowed his eyes at me and he said and, and he turned he turned the conversation around um and I said, I did, I said something like, it wasn't even worth it. It wasn't even worth it. And he said, he said, well, he just didn't know what he was doing. Mm. And yeah, super icky. Um, My whole yeah. body just ugh, feels like that. Right? Yeah. And um, that was one of those moments where I was like, if you couldn't possibly mean it that way, uh, I overlooked it because I remember I was in tears when I said it, you know, I wasn't telling him this to titillate him. I wasn't telling him this to, um, you know, seduce him in any sort of way. Yeah. Um, I was trying to tell somebody cause I wanted anybody to listen to me. I had told school counselors about how my parents had treated me after that whole ordeal and how the person, that person had been 18. I had never been protected at Every, um, every boyfriend I had in high school was an adult and nobody protected me, um, from these adults. And, um, so I had tried and tried to like, you know, reach out in my own ways, even though I had justified it in my brain. Um, I had tried to reach out and figure out ways to get help. Um, and from, you know, my dad or these people and, um, you know, most of the time I, it was a victim blaming situation. Um, and I did end up blaming myself as well because of it. So, um, I thought here's somebody who's going to not blame me. Who's going to listen to me who hasn't blamed me yet. And in this case, uh, that's what it seemed like to me. And when he said what he said, I thought he's not, he's not saying it that you know, in a sexual way, he's trying to say, he doesn't mean it that way. I don't know how I justified my brain, but I was trying to, um, you do all kinds of mental gymnastics of when you want is somebody a pardon. Um, and so eventually, um, it kind of, I mean, when I say eventually, I mean, this happened rapid fire, really. It was a matter of weeks. Um, this devolved into him picking me up from work 
taking me to his house. Um, we were no longer talking about Bible study whatsoever. It was just us going straight to sexual encounters. Um, I thought I was in love. Um, we did have Bible studies. We like we did actually conduct maybe two or three where we actually had people from the church come to his house, including my parents. Um, and things came to a head maybe about eight weeks into this relationship. Um, I don't know what snapped with my parents, but something clicked with them. And um, there was two people at the apartment. He, he lived in a duplex. And um, they they were, these people were actually living with him. He, um, he was always letting homeless people live with him. And um, so this homeless couple was living with him. And so this was one of those Bible study nights. And so he um, was having, me, he and I were having Bible study with them. And uh, my parents showed up and they were hot. They were like mad. And they get there and my dad just basically confronts him. And the woman that was staying with him just goes, oh, uh, get over it. They're in love. And both basically outed the whole situation and so when your dad showed up he wasn't he wasn't like your parents weren't hot because of they thought you guys were in a relationship but they found that out at the same time they found they were already mad they they figured there was some something hinky going on i don't know what the exactly what what tipped him off really uh, okay um i had like left any paper trail or anything like that um but it could be that someone at the church thought it looked funny and said something mm -hmm. um but uh i mean you can only like i said it was it was eight weeks of us seeing each other and only three bible studies and that one just happened to be a bible study because those people were staying there you can only have so many, um, I'm picking her up for a Bible study and they're not actually be a Bible study going on. Yeah. And, um, so they, uh, they got upset and, you know, uh, my dad said, get, go get in the van. And I stood there and I looked at him and I looked at my dad and he goes, don't look at him, go get in the car. And I, so I, I went and, well, first he goes, yeah, go ahead and listen to your dad. So then I went and got in the van. That's how much of a hole he had over me is that I listened to him over my dad. Right. And I went and got in the van. Of course, I got in the van and my dad immediately started blaming me for this whole thing. And um, so I wasn't allowed to ever see him again. Um, that's what, he, what I was told. Um, that did not stop me. Um, of course. He, yeah. He Every had, teenager ever. Right. Uh, he had a hold on me pretty good. I used every friend that would uh, help me. Um, but also, he concocted a plan. Um, he had a friend, and this is where the trafficking comes in. Uh, he had a friend. It was this lady. I remember she was a Seventh-day Adventist. And she thought he was the most wonderful man in the world. She was an older woman who had an adult son that they all they lived together. Um, and they were very poor. And so they would do this for a tank of gas in exchange for a tank of gas. And 
Um, I, I, at the time I had uh, switched jobs. I was no longer, my parents made me stop working at the mall because they thought I was on display. Um, and, uh, so I had to work for some lady at the church who had a folk finishing company. So I was basically painting walls, um, during the day. Um, and your house out again, like 17, 16, yeah. 17. Yeah. 17. Um, and, uh, so, um, and I was supposed to be homeschooled to keep it that in mind too. Yeah, was right. Right. Homeschooled. Um, and uh, you were too busy doing manual labor. Right. There's no time for education. Right. And, you know, I asked my brothers about that too. They, they did not really get very good of an education either. Um, they were doing manual labor for my dad at one point when he had a, a cleaning business. So, um, but yeah, the, um, I was doing this folk finishing company, um, stuff. And then, uh, um, I, I was, I was working for this woman or was I, um, and, uh, yeah, I was no longer, oh, that's what it was. Okay. So she was training me to also, she wanted to expand the business to paint murals and I'm artistic. And so she wants, she started talking about me painting murals. So, um, this woman wanted me, but she, she, she kind of feigned interest in me painting a mural in her house. This friend of, her name was Cecilia, um, this friend of my, my ex and he, um, he got her, uh, to, uh, well, the story that I told my parents was, I'm, she's going to pick me up and I'm going to go paint a mural in her house and she's got to pay me. Um, and I said, well, she doesn't have a lot of money, so I'm not going to get a lot of money. I was already, you know, heading off the back that I won't have a lot of money for this job. And so I got, uh, she would come pick me up, take me to her house. Shane would come and pick me up at her house, take me back to his house for three hours and then take me back to her house. And then she would take me back to my house. And it wasn't until about four weeks ago that it just clicked in my brain. That's human trafficking. You know, you don't, you, you think human trafficking is this big, um, you know, taken Liam Neeson stuff and it's, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as somebody picking you up, taking you to someone else's house and leaving you there and then picking you up and taking you somewhere else. It's not, it's not always a big thing, but it's harmful just the same. Especially and, considering you were a minor and this man is in his thirties. And then you have this middle woman who's lying for him because he's manipulating both of you yes. to getting what he wants, which is you, a child. Yes. Yes. Absolutely trafficking. Uh, oh, and the entitlement this man had. He still has entitlement to this day. Um, uh, yeah, and I'll get into that in a second. But yeah, so this went on the entirety of that year where I would find ways to see him. Um, and then uh, I remember my mom, you know, we didn't have a good relationship for the last like three years that maybe longer um and and uh, you know we have a great relationship now like you know she and me are like really good friends um she's kind of um she loved my dad this year she's really independent um and 
it's kind of like she had a wake up call last couple of years herself. Um, and, um, but she and I didn't have a good relationship and I remember it, it breaks my heart now thinking about it, but she had said, I want to throw you a really big birthday party for your 18th birthday party. I was like, no, I don't want you to, you know? And the reason I didn't want her to is because I was planning on leaving and I knew that it would hurt my feelings to have her throw me that birthday party and then I just leave anyhow yeah. and go to the person I knew that they didn't want me to go to. So I was ugly to her and she just goes fine. And um, yeah, so four days after my 18th birthday, I waited till they left and uh, I wrote them a note and told them where I was going because I didn't want them to worry. And um, I said, there's nothing you can do about it now. And because um, I had tried to leave when I was 17 because I was told that Georgia has a gray area about 17 year olds and I don't know this I had heard that my parents lied to the police since I was 16 to get to get me to come back I don't know but I had left and moved in with my friend and I was back at home within 48 hours so I mean it didn't work but um I uh I ended up uh leaving four days after and within two weeks, I was married to him. Um, and uh, it seemed fine at first. Um, everything, you know, he was taking me on these little road trips. He worked as a, um, a street sweeper. He drove street sweeping truck. And every night we would ride together in his street sweeper. Um and clean up parking lots and um for extra money we would sell um stuff at the flea market and uh it it just seemed like a kind of a bohemian lifestyle we enjoyed it and um and he, it seemed it just seemed fine and we were and we were uh church hopping trying to find a church so and you were no longer, like, you didn't stay at that church because your family was still in it? Was that kind yeah. of the primary reason? Yeah. Uh, right. Real quick, just to, so I can grasp my own brain. So at this point, you had turned 18 and you guys got married. Um, So he would have been nearing 40, right? By that is, time, like in his late 30s? He was 36 when we got married. 36 and 18. I need everybody to let that sink in for a second. That is disgusting i can't like for someone to do that to a child he's the same age as my mom that's not okay and you're you're a child and and like you said so our stories are so much like i ran away as soon as i turned 18 i left a note i told him where i was going and i married the man two weeks later and so like our stories it's crazy (laughs) you say it's like almost like listening to my own story from another person's point of view there's variables obviously but my heart is with you during this while you're telling your story because I know how your brain works in that situation as a child when you've been manipulated and you've been treated like shit at home for so long that anyone who gives you the attention gives you any type of positive attention you're going to latch onto that that's just human nature like you want to go where you're wanted and Mm -hmm. predators like Shane F Shane, but predators like Shane and like my ex did the same thing. They they can recognize when someone is very easily manipulated based on them being a child, number one, but also their like you mentioned earlier, their family life. 
and they have visibility to that and they make deliberate choices to manipulate and abuse and traffic people like you and me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So sorry to go off the rails there for a second, but no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so you guys are in the street sweeper. Like, you probably feel like it's, like, kind of romantic, like, spending this time together. You're just you guys against the world. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, he didn't make a lot of money. But there was red flags along the way, too, because, like, okay, he couldn't open up his own bank account anymore because he had um, written bad checks or something. And the bank had red flagged him. Um, and so he was always cashing his check. So like every Tuesday he would cash his check and that was our going out day. Um, and, um, so yeah, so that was something, you know, and then, um, so we got married. I, I, you know, I turned 18 in October of that year as, uh, 2004. Um, and, uh, January rolls around. I start feeling sick. And I'm like tired, just like so tired. And he was getting so mad. He, if I didn't, if I wasn't exactly the way he wanted me to be at all times, he'd get really frustrated. And, um, so I was, I was very tired and I was sleeping more and more. And on a whim, I just was like, oh, maybe I'm pregnant and I'm laughing it off. And I went and I took a pregnancy test and I was just shocked I was pregnant. Because he told me, I can't have children. I had been having unproductive sex with this man for a year or longer. And he told me that he could not have children because he had had monster scarlet fever or something when he was a kid. And um, and that they had told him that he couldn't have any. Wow. And his ex-wife never got pregnant and all that. And so, um, so I... Um, I, you know, I was shocked and, uh, I didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, I, abortion wasn't an option for me at the time because I didn't believe in it. Um, and, uh, the, you know, I'm just like, everybody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to hate me. I'm already isolated from my family. Um, I did, I still had a couple of friends. He didn't take my friends away because they weren't opposed to him. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who was in op- direct opposition with him was out of our lives. Um, that that would change eventually. I would have friends kind of fall to the wayside, um, but um, so I wrote a letter eventually to my. I, I wrote it to my little brothers because me and my sister didn't have a good relationship, and I didn't want to talk to my parents. I sent my brothers an ultrasound picture, told them they were going to be uncles told them I missed them um and um that was my way of telling my family that I was expecting and it wasn't it it was about six months into my pregnancy before I reconciled a little bit with my family and I was and I was starving for for some kind of connection with them because yeah I you know, he, he, I didn't realize it at the time, but he really was terrorizing me. He made me think that my family was uh, lurking around every corner and trying to scare the baby, uh, you know, scare, scare a miscarriage into me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then kind of thing. Oh, that was another thing, too. Um, so 
I had these little dogs, uh, two little chihuahuas, and and I had a guinea pig too. These were animals that he had got for me while I was still living at home. So they were my dogs, but they lived at his house. They were incentives, basically, to lure me to to him. Okay, but I had these little dogs, and um, the little boy down the road, he had left some meat on the porch. And he knew that that was what happened, but he made it seem like my parents had thrown the meat at the door to scare me to as a threat. And, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to think that that's what they were doing. And then he also told me that my mom had come to the gas station that he had gotten a part-time job at and um, told, um, told him that she wanted me to have an abortion, which I knew. At, at that point, I was like, you're exaggerating. She she couldn't have said that, you know. Um, I didn't call, come out and say that he was lying, but I said you were you're exaggerating. You must have missed her, um, because she doesn't believe in that. And um, so he would he was like, and he was scaring me a lot. Um, we would um, we would play cards a lot, uh, play rummy and things like that at night, and we would uh, keep a log of of uh who won the most games and that kind of thing and i was on this long winning streak and um there was this keychain i bought him that was like um it was like a skull made of resin and uh it was sitting nearby and i was laughing because i won yet again and he picked it up like and i there was no warning like i didn't even know he was mad he just picked it up and he threw it at me and it whizzed past me and it like brushed my hair and it shattered the coffee mug on the china cabinet behind me. Oh my god. And that was the first time he ever got violent. Um and he's never hit me, but he's threatened to like he came at me like this, you know, and um so that was the first time he's ever thrown stuff and he started throwing stuff more and more like that. Um there was a lot of public humiliation, um, like, like he knew that my family was, uh, against, um, just, just anti-gay in general. And he had ordered an, a subscription to Playboy. This Christian man of God had ordered a subscription to Playboy. And, um, I, I was like, I can't, I, I was a little shocked and out of curiosity, I picked it up and I leafed through it and I said, well, I don't see the appeal. I said, I don't, I don't understand like, like why you want this? Like, um, you told me that I was it for you and you didn't, and you didn't need this and that kind of thing. And I, yeah, no judgment to anyone. I don't, I don't hold any judgment for anyone who yeah. has interest in that kind of stuff. But, um, at the time I, I held more judgmental beliefs and um so he um he pocket pocketed me looking at it in his head and um I kept finding it. I threw it away but I kept finding it. I would find it in the shed and I would find it under the bed and I would find it in the bathroom and I kept finding it. He would dig it out of the garbage and I was telling my mom about it. So I keep finding this 
yeah stupid you know it was there was only one because he didn't he didn't continue to pay for the subscription so he only got one um and uh so i kept finding the same magazine in the house and i'm still in the room about it and said i don't know what to do about this and he overheard me i, he, I didn't know he was nearby he overheard me he goes well you're looking through it too and things like that uh so trying we were, to shift the blame like somehow trying to like loop you in so you were just as guilty quote-unquote guilty yeah. as he was yes and um telling people that i was on welfare like people perfect strangers telling people that i was on welfare and that he's not ashamed because he's paid into it all these years um but uh that but if you know that he's never had to use it uh because he's always had insurance but because i came into the picture he had to put me on welfare so just shame just shaming and blaming right but he stole my food stamps there was there was one week where i had to eat macaroni and box macaroni and cheese for a week that's all i had to eat because i found um pocket change in the couch and the gas station had um 10 cent macaroni and cheese on clearance so i bought all they had and that's all i had to eat um, because he would use up all my food stamps and then put keep the um food in his work truck that was parked away from us and so why did I he do that did he ever say why he did that no it's just controlling it's just controlling. yeah he would he would we would buy groceries on tuesdays and um so i would buy enough for the week and he knew that so then after like so what he was doing was keeping it as wallet but then um on week two there wouldn't be any more money left mm-hmm. and then there would just be food in his truck and I only found that out because my mom kept the baby for me one week and I rode in the truck with him. And when I opened up the back, all these Doritos and shit fell out. So, so he's over there hoarding food, literally keeping food away from his wife and child. Yes. What a yeah. flea bag. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there was lots of things. Like, I did it without a lot. Like, I, my mom said that she saw me at the dollar store one time, but she didn't know it was me. Um, she saw the baby, and she recognized the baby, and uh, she's like, I know that baby. And um, the reason that it didn't dawn on her right away is because she said I was dressed so shabbily that she didn't recognize me. And, and that um, takes a lot for a mother to not recognize their own child that you know it's bad. Yeah. And she's like, I wanted to ring his neck. And, you know, yeah. Um, there was lots of things that happened. Um, like, after the baby was born, he started getting rid of my pets. Um, he claimed that they had mange, but they were just allergic to their harnesses where they would start losing their fur. Um, they, they were chihuahuas, so... You know how chihuahuas are sometimes they have that um, skin issues and stuff. Um, so they were losing fur where their harnesses were. And um, so he didn't want the chihuahua to be near the baby and the, the last chihuahua I had. Um, but I didn't, I started feeling bad for him. And one day I was taking a nap with the baby on my chest and I had a blanket up and I thought, well, he could sleep in between my legs on top of the blanket. He's not near the baby. And he came out of the bedroom and he saw the dog 
and I was and I and I heard him kind of make a noise like he was angry and I knew I needed to pretend to stay asleep because I was about to be in trouble mm-hmm. I got scared he picked that dog up and slammed him against the wall and I I um yeah I felt like so I feel bad about the dog. I couldn't find the dog for hours. He went and hid somewhere. Um, I don't know what damage had been done, but I found a home for him. Like I immediately called a vet to see if they knew of anyone who would take a chihuahua, and the vet tech there said she would take him. Um, and she came and picked him up, and I remember seeing him in the car, and he was scared, and he didn't want to go. And Sorry. Um, yeah, I'm... So, um, I called her a couple days later, and she acted very standoffish, kind of short with me, and I'm starting to wonder if, she, like, she didn't have, like, an x-ray done or something, and, you know, there was some damage done to the dog, and she thought it was me that did it. So I I don't know I I don't know how to explain to her you know it wasn't me but I I would have had to turn him in you know right. and I was so brainwashed into being a dutiful wife like that wasn't that was just like numero uno in my brain I'm I'm I made my bed I have to lie in it and this is my husband and I have to be a good wife and he was always like drilling that into my brain he would leave like little pieces of paper laying around with bible verses written on it about what a wife is supposed to do and um he would he was he fancied himself an artist and he would put that on his artwork even um and uh he kept a journal and he encouraged me to read his journal um and it was like he wanted me to write back to him in the journal. It took a lot for me not to correct all his grammar, but um, <laughs> but I would uh, sometimes write back in it. Um, but most of the time, like he wanted me to write basically devotions back to him, and um, he he typically uh, it would it would be like he would be writing about his day and writing. Um, devotions to God, but it would definitely be something that was meant for me to read. You know what I mean? Right. I wanted the validation of your loyalty and admiration of him written back. Yes. Like telling him Uh, how amazing and godly and wonderful he is. Yes. Um, There was also, there was times where I, well, there was times where I realized that eventually I I didn't want to believe it. Like, I would have these moments where I'm like, I'm not going to be able to be with this person forever because I have a child. And I didn't want to think that way, but he would say weird things. And I'm like, that's, that's not, you shouldn't say things like that. And like, like he said, the little girl from the movie My Girl is hot. Like, how do you, oh. how do you sit yeah oh like how do you say um he would make these off-kilter jokes and i can't even remember any of them i like blocked them out of my brain yeah 
Um, he'd make these off-kilter jokes in front of his male friends, even my dad. And if some, if these male friends would laugh, even if it was a um, uncomfortable laugh, they didn't. If they didn't explicitly object to what he just said, then what he said wasn't bad. He could always go back and say, "Well, you laughed at that. That's not bad." You know, right? Um, I remember we were watching American Idol and there was a girl on there who um, auditioned and she it said it had her age on there and it said 23. And um, I remember my dad uh, had gone to the bathroom and he came back out and he didn't, the age of the girl, her name was gone. And my, uh, my dad sat down and he said, uh, Shane said, oh, do you like her? And, and my dad goes, oh yeah, she has a nice voice. And he goes, well, do you think she's pretty? And he goes, yeah, she's pretty attractive. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, if you were single, would you go out with her? And he's like, well, I mean, she's pretty. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, she. anybody would be lucky to go out with her. And he's like, oh, he goes, well, you're a dirty old man, David. You you want to go out with a 23-year-old. Yeah. He's just trying to pull everyone else in to be as dirty as he is. Like, he's trying to like make them think that about themselves the same way he did with you trying to make you feel shame about something even when that wasn't the case to begin with right and also what a weird ass conversation to have with your wife's dad it yeah he was always having weird conversations um just uh, like just think of a bad character trait in this man had it and with selfishness like like looking around to see who's going to take the last steak. If no one's going to take the last steak on the middle of the table, he's going to take it, you know? Um, not thinking that, oh, maybe my dad's going to take that for lunch to work tomorrow, you know? Um, then uh, making everything about himself, like, um, he never once, like, really paid attention to our kid. Um, the baby uh, would cry. It's me that has to go take care of them. Um, the baby would... Uh, yeah, I did. I did the diaper changes. Um, the, ba- the baby was breastfed and bottle fed. I so I did all the feedings. I did all the laundry. Um, I you know I didn't work, so I was I was taking care of the baby twenty four seven, and um, uh, and that's fine. In hindsight, I'm glad. I'm glad he wasn't right. along with it. Um, so, but it's exhausting. Uh, even it when you even if you have a good partner. Being a, a new parent is exhausting. Being a parent in general is hard, but then, but then you have that on top of it, and I'm sure that was considered a, a wifely duty as well. Is to it's all anything involving children usually is considered yes. a wife's duty. Um, and he, yeah, he didn't really take an interest in the baby unless uh, people were watching and the baby was doing something cute. Um, so. My dad was the first person to make the baby laugh. Um, I can't remember if it was peekaboo or something like that at the kitchen table. Um, Machine quickly grabbed the baby, um, held held him up, and started going woo like that in the face. And the baby started laughing. And then uh, he goes, oh, I made them laugh. I'm the first one to make them laugh. And it's just oh immediately rewriting history. Right. And yeah. And then gaslighting. So, like that seems to be his his strongest trait among everything else. Mm-hmm. Like giant gaslighting sign on his forehead. 
Well, even when I had when I had the baby um, at the hospital, he decided that the nurses didn't like men because he said, "Can I hold baby?" As soon as the baby came out and got cleaned up, can I hold her? And uh, they said, uh, "We let the mother hold the baby first. And um, so then the the they hand the baby to me, and he goes, "They just don't like dads." And so then um, they put the baby in the car seat to uh, take the baby out of the, ho- the hospital. And um, he's like, well, can I take them um, out? And then and they said, no, we let the mothers do it for security reasons. Yeah. And he's like, you know, you people have not let me do anything at all. I haven't gotten to bathe the baby. I haven't gotten, you know, and he just made it all about himself. Um, he he like, made sure to tell the doctor. We're going to need a really good birth control after this is over. I'm sitting there in the middle of breathing, heavy breathing. And yeah, so just making it all about him, cracking jokes. Like I made my sister, my best friend, leave because they were laughing because he was making jokes. And I was like, this ain't funny. Right. And I picked him because he's the father. And I thought he should be there. I picked him over them. In hindsight, I wish it had been the other way around. Um but you know because they were just kids themselves they didn't know my best friend was 18 my sister was 14 um and um so anyways yeah that that was some of it um the the i i want to emphasize too um that the church knew like when i say the church i'm going to say there's key people in the church there were a lot of people that didn't even know who he was now, when we went back to the church, we did end up going back to the church after we got married. Um, my dad did tell him, he's like, now the pastor wants to talk to you before you go back. Well, he's like, we're married. We can go back. It's okay. So we go back. Um, and then the pastor's like, I want to see you guys this week for a meeting. And so we go and we talk to him. And it, it, it seemed kind of... It didn't even seem like a slap on the wrist. It was just everything good with you and your parents. And it's like, yeah, okay. And that was the end of it. There was no chastising. There was no really nothing. Yeah. And no, no mention of the fact that this relationship started illegally. <laughs> right. The minor. None of that. Right. None of that. Um, so then... Um, yeah, we didn't start going back. Yeah, I'm going to try to think. Yeah, we didn't start going back until after the baby was born because that was after we made amends with my parents. So um, then we, uh, we we started going back and um, yeah, the, the like I said, the there was that elder and he was friends with him and this goes into his past. So, um, after he was with that married woman, or that not, I'm sorry, he wasn't one of the married ones, sorry. He was with that woman that had the two children. Right. Um, he had pursued a 16-year-old girl who also was homeschooled and worked at McDonald's during the day. And um, so he was just hanging around McDonald's all the time. And he could do that because he worked nights. And... Um, and so he was going, he was going there and I guess eventually her, her parents didn't like it. Um, 
And he had gotten her to come over to his house. And he was trying to get her to sleep with him. And she, you know, good for her. She told him outright no. And she called her mom to come get her. You you disappeared for a week. Yeah, you completely disappeared. Um, Like, there's, again, it was like complete black on the screen. I had no audio or visual on you at all. Oh, okay. No, um... Every now and then it'll be like glitchy, like on your end, at least for me on your end. It's so I don't know what's going on. I apologize. Um, That's right. But okay. So the last thing I heard, and, and I don't know how soon you were able to stop talking. I, so I hope you you have to repeat it. But yeah. Okay. You said um, they use that as evidence. Yes. So they use the letters as evidence. Um, to uh, go to court and get him to stop talking to her. I don't really know what exactly it. I don't think it was like a misdemeanor or anything. Like, I don't think it was a something that they could actually put on a background check or anything. But it was like a slap on the wrist. Hey, don't talk to her anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the man who the the, the judge who uh, did issued this. Uh, was the kind that married us at the probate oh, court. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so then um, she uh, she was able to get rid of him that way. Um, and um, he, so he had like a little history there. Well, the thing is, is that that elder in in the church was a went to went to court with him because he was nervous and he went with him so he knows he knew that he has a proclivity for young girls and when he started hanging around me he didn't go to my parents and say anything in fact he came to the bible study the very first bible study we had um and uh, so he, that elder is friends with the lady that I did work for the photo finishing company with and her mother. And, um, so then there was this other lady named Monica who still spoke with him even after all of this came out and let me come. Now she didn't do any kind of trafficking stuff because she knew better than that, but she was still friendly with him, even though she knew all, all this stuff was going on. And, um, Really, the only person who sort of kind of t- spoke to me was the pastor's daughter, and it was all very vague. It was like, you know, we might think that we know somebody, and we don't really know that person. And, you know, when two people come to you, because there was another woman there, and she was more upset that I was leaving um, when I was supposed to be watching the kids. I was trying to run away from home by leaving the church, you know, like my right. friend was picking me up from church. Um it's like when two people come to you in the Lord's name, it's really the, the Lord speaking to you, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. um, it was all very big. And what it was is that that the pastor's daughter had gotten an icky feeling from him at one time or another. Um, and but nobody could really like I guess she couldn't really pinpoint if he had actually been an icky person or not. I don't know how much the pastor's family knew about that incident with the girl. 
But all I can say is that there were elders in the church that knew, and there was extended people in the church that knew. Um, and I do know that after all of this happened, that one of the elders of the church left. Like, he was mad that they let him come back to the church. Um, yeah. So he left. Um, but... Um, because they're just, yeah. for them to know the type of person that he is and the types of girls that he goes after and to still accept him back as part of the fold, then you're protecting abusers. You're not protecting the children. You're not protecting the congregation or being a good shepherd by protecting the sheep within your congregation. Uh, no. And I mean, and it just continued to be a circus after we went back to the church. Like we were going to have, um, we, you know, that church doesn't believe in um, baptizing babies, but they believe in uh, dedicating babies. So um, I was going to have the pastor dedicate my baby. Um, and uh, so the pastor's holding the baby. And um, and after he did the dedication, uh, Shane took the baby and holds them up like over his head, over the stage. And start singing the Circle of Life song from the Lion King. I was about to say that sounds like the Lion King. No, he didn't. Oh my God. I've got, yes. like, I've got secondhand embarrassment right now. I would laugh. Like, I to this day, I have this thing that I do where I laugh when I'm embarrassed because of him. You know, like, and it's like a PTSD almost reaction uh, because of how embarrassing he, oh you know, he did that God. shit all the time. He's horrible. Like, and he had to make it about himself. It wasn't about the baby. He has to be a comedian. He has to make people laugh. He thinks he's hilarious. Oh, I didn't even mention this. You know, he went he went to clown school. He was a professional clown. Well, that's on brand for this mother effer, isn't it? Because he no. is he yeah. has a he is a freaking clown. He is a clown. Uh -huh. Oh my god, that couldn't be no. more perfect profession for him. Besides being uh -huh. a full time inmate. Oh, um, yeah, he, uh, wanted to, he want he tried to get it back up, like, his, his, uh, clowning, he tried to get it back up, up off his feet, um, again, and he wanted to make it a ministry. Um, problem with him is he's a shady guy, so everything turns into shady work, so, like, we would, like I said, I, we were poor, and I was wearing rags and eating macaroni and cheese, and so we were, I got to where I was dumpster diving uh, at Kmart and behind the mall for things that they would sell that were still in the boxes. Mm -hmm. um, and I was good at it. Like, I could find, like, um, see Christmas CDs from the year before that had never been opened, you know. And I would sell them at the flea market. And um, I would make $200, $300 weekend. And um, so, you know, I did weekend. But, and very resourceful resourceful yeah it was it was the only way we kept the lights on and um but the um uh he would put a jar like a pickle jar out and put his picture of him dressed as a clown and write please donate to a struggling children's ministry and these little old folks would be walking by and they would see that sign and be touched and they would throw 20 dollar bills in there and then I would think, okay, that's great. Now we can go to the magic shop and buy supplies. Right. You know, no. He would go buy Doritos and, and stuff them in his truck or 
Honestly, like, you know what? Maybe th- this is completely me just theorizing. Mm-hmm. But you said when when you were still living at home, he was like getting you these animals and like all of these things to win your attention. So my first thought was when he's getting money, even though he's married, is he using that money to get attention from someone else, like buying other people things? Like, because people like that, they don't stop. They don't stop being the clowns that they are. He, um, you know, it's totally plausible that I don't think he had the time, nor do I think he had the money. I mean, he really was only making like $9 an hour. Um, But... I do think that if I had stayed longer, that that would have been a mm-hmm. problem. Because then when I turned 20 years old, he told me I was too old for him. Yeah. Now, get, now there was a time, like, like it started, it started around the time that I had the baby. He started religiously on Saturday nights, we would watch Cops in America's Most Wanted. And I didn't realize it at the time, but now I know in hindsight that he was watching America's Most Wanted because he was worried he was going to see himself on there. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, Now, I don't think he's as big of a deal as he thinks he is, but that's what I think he was watching it for. And it's probably a little bit of wishful thinking because, you know, people like that, really narcissistic people like that want to kind of see how important they are on that and he reminds me a lot of like what you're saying this is i just because i'm i listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and things like Mm -hmm. that is he reminds me with this whole clown thing of john wayne gacy who yes yes who dressed up as a clown was real involved in the church and had everybody fooled thinking he was like this religious family man who was real charming and charismatic and it sounds like shane was John Wayne Gacy 2.0 yeah he's it, it's just like you know creepy clowns are in vogue right now I mean I I work in the antique business and at Halloween time we coat the store in creepy clowns they're creepy for a reason I mean that they're, they're this the uh I wouldn't say statistically, I mean, not every clown, you know, is a pedophile, but there is a reason that we have that image in our head that they're either serial killers or they're hiding behind face paint, you know? Um, but really, like, it's just, it's just so crazy because he had that twofold. He had the clowning and he had the church to hide behind. And that's what I'm really like wanting to talk about like that's why i'm wanting to talk to you today is because um i want people and i want christians to know not just people who have left the church i want people and all the haters out there who are who who don't like people like you and me who have left the church and want to speak out i want them to know that they're out there hiding in plain sight they're sitting next to you in the pews um i i've left the um or i i was in the church in my 20s still and I could spot them still. I, I, after having been through this, there was one person I remember who would pick my child up and hold them. And I said, one day I was just like, put them down right now. And, and he was just like, okay. And he like set them down immediately. But I knew, I knew what he was doing, you know? And, I, I just, I, I, you can spot them now. Like when you've been through something like this, you just know, and you, you can see where they're hiding, they're hiding in places 
where they have access to children and they're hiding in places where they can um, be forgiven easily. Ooh, so they can offend again. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think it's also important to point out to, like you said, Christians who are still involved in church, that the importance of speaking up and protecting people who are being groomed as the next victim for these types of people. You cannot just turn the other way. You can't ignore it. You can't, as an adult, you can't just give other adults the benefit of a doubt. When the red flags are there, the signs are there, your responsibility is to the victims in these situations, the children in these situations. It's not to the grown-up. It's it's right. never it never sh- your loyalty should not be to protect the reputation of the church and to always forgive the offender. Leave that mm-hmm. up to Jesus. But as humans sitting in the pews next to these people, it's our job to look out for the little kids and the the women and the children. Right. It's not to it's not to easily forgive and assume that they're not going to you know ruin someone else's life. Well. Um... This this whole thing with the um, with the America's Most Wanted thing, it kind of came to a head. I want to say too that I kind of knew ahead of time. So around the time that I had the baby, he did tell me about his crimes, and he sugarcoated them, of course, because it's not it wasn't his fault. Um, it was the child's fault, and it was the child that lived with him, the older child that lived with him um, of the two of the woman the old old, the older woman i thought that i thought that was older woman um she might have been a year older than him um uh and um she worked a lot and he worked very little because that's who he is um and so he would get them off the bus and um he said that every day uh for whatever reason, she wanted to go and get a shower every day. And after she would get out of the shower, she would go and seduce him. And, and he said, and then he, and he made it sound like it wasn't all that bad. And then he also tried to make it be like, well, if that's bad, then what you and me did was bad. And, but you, what you, you and me did wasn't bad because we're in love, you know? And, and I told her that, you know, I loved her and she loved me and that, you know, and her mother was horrible to her. And then if she ever needed me, she could come back. And so we're also supposed to leave that door open for her to come back. As a, as a married couple, we were supposed to let her come back too. Okay. And um, so that's why after I had the baby, all these little red flags would pop up. And I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, I cannot, I don't think I can be with him. I have to leave sometime before my kid turns 10. Because that's when that little girl moved in was when she was 10. And I would, but then I would choke that down because I'm a dutiful wife and that didn't really happen. And I would compartmentalize it. And I'd be like, no, that's not, that didn't, that's not how it happened. And, you know, you try to justify it. And I was still so young. I, I try to forgive myself for justifying that, that, but it, it's hard because I still think, well, why were, why didn't you just leave when he told you? But, um, so, he um there there was one day where uh, we went to Kroger and I um I was doing the grocery shopping and I had the the baby with me and he wanted to go and sit at the um, the coffee shop because he liked to hang out wherever he thought the younger crowd was going to be um so 
he was sitting in the coffee shop and I got done with all the shopping and you know, nothing, nothing was amiss. Like I, we got all the way home. He, he said nothing. He was pretty quiet, but nothing, nothing seemed out of the ordinary. We got all the way home and, uh, we, we started watching cops and in between commercials, um, he tells me that he had seen, uh, his ex-girlfriend and the girls and we said oh well that's nice i said how were they and he said oh they're fine um they i said were they happy to see you and he said uh yeah he's like but uh i don't want to say her name but you know i'll just call her betty 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 was acting goofy and now is said betty the mom or is betty the the child that he groomed and the child Okay, child. Um, and uh, and he, he's like, oh, Betty was acting goofy. And I said, goofy? I was like, what do you mean by goofy? And he's like, um, I don't know, just kind of goofy. And so that was the story that I got. Um, and two, two or three days later, um, we were asleep in the afternoon uh, taking a nap and um, there was a knock at the door and it was the police and they came and arrested him and what had actually happened was while I was shopping they they had come up and saw him and the, the mother and the younger child were happy to see him at first and the other one was hiding behind the other two and, and she's in high school at this point so she was older at this point and acting standoffish, scared, looking at the floor. Um, and then, um, told her mom, she doesn't remember him, that kind of thing. They get in the car and the younger one is nudging her saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? And then, uh, she, she gets it out of her. And then she's like, you need to tell mom. And so they tell this is all happening in the car on the ride home from Kroger and they tell the mom the mom finds a park police man they tell the policeman the policeman tells them to go to the station they speak with a detective and they were able to arrest them just on the account of the child um and the forensic um psychologist spoke with them and all that um because of that the girl that he had um, tried to get to sleep with him that was 16 also came forward as a witness. Um, it took me some time to deprogram myself after he got arrested, but I eventually decided to also be a witness and be the last nail in the coffin and testified at the trial as well. Um, and my testimony actually he caught uh, Cecilia, the woman who trafficked me, um, she was going to testify on his behalf because I got up there before she got up there. I was able to say this person helped him, uh, get me alone, you know? So then he hadn't, he hadn't absolutely nobody. And oh he got 69 years. So, yeah. We want to take it a hundred, baby, but yeah. He can yeah. rot. He can rot. Oh yes. my God. I can't, that had to have been incredibly difficult for you to. It was. 
I can't, I can't imagine like all of you, all of you, all of those young girls and yourself, you were just a child too. Even if you had turned 18, you were groomed and abused from such a young age. Of course, you're not going to be able to turn him in right away without all of this other evidence because you start, he's gaslit you for so long. You don't even mm-hmm. believe yourself. You don't even trust your own experience because of that. Yeah. Oh, it, I'll tell you too. It's like throughout my 20s, it, like I had this, I had this child from this man too. And I had to, I had to sit there and just like, everything's fine. I'm fine. I, it, I, it's over now. You know, like I didn't think that I needed any help after that, you know, like I was, I, I just went on business as usual. I started a career. I, um, you know, I was a teacher for about a decade and, you know, I tried to like, just move on and you just think that everything's fine. And I hit my thirties and I'm just like, it just flattened me. And I just realized my childhood wasn't normal and my, my teen years were crazy. And then that happened and, and then I, I just, I never process it. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. It was crazy. And, um, I'm finally getting to a point where I can talk about it and not, and not feel like ashamed as you know there's still hints of that you know and there's still there's still times where I get emotional and um and I'm upset but you know overall I I can talk about it now but it was it was hard and people don't people don't uh always you just never know what people are going through you know and I what you said about you know like not being able to process it to your 30s I think to some degree considering the the situation those of us who have been in those really awful situations starting when we were so young I I have often felt like let me just speak from my perspective and not assume that you feel the same but it's like I feel like my my teen years I was actually operating as someone in my 20s because I was being treated like an adult by someone who was grooming me and abusing me so my years are off like I I wasn't able to start processing things really until my late 20s and early thirties, like to the degree that, like you just said to now, it was like, I would kind of disconnect from that part of my past and really thought it was, you know, oh, everyone comes with baggage or everyone has been through something. But then when I started like talking about it to therapists or, you know, info dumping on people, trauma dumping on people. And then, like you said earlier, the looks you would get and people are like, that's, that's not okay like that wasn't age appropriate that's not normal like are you okay (laughs) and uh it took a long time to be like no I don't I actually I'm probably I'm not okay yeah yeah and then and this this is kind of funny um the amount of people that think that I got married because I was pregnant uh I was like no I got married because I got like groomed like I was a child yeah um you know, he made me go to what would have been my high school graduation. I had a friend who invited me to it, and I didn't want to go because I was heavily pregnant. And I thought, that's embarrassing. And he's like, no, we're going to go because you need to support your friend. What it was is he, want, he wanted to mark his territory because I had oh. male friends. Yeah. Gross. Gross. Yeah. He's yeah the worst. Yeah. I'm so glad he's behind bars and off. And like you said, you... 
your baby was protected from this monster. You protected your baby from this monster. Your testimony, the other girl's testimony, like you saved your baby from the same unfortunate circumstances that you had to endure. And it doesn't feel like, I'm sure, it doesn't feel like you're a hero, but someone should have protected you when you were young and they didn't. And you, you, people knew, adults knew, and no one protected you. And you're, you've already done better than that. You've already done the right thing by protecting your baby. Um, and that, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge deal. And I think you're a wonderful person and you never, you didn't deserve any of that shit. You didn't deserve any of that. No, you, you should have raised a childhood. Yeah. Yeah. None of those girls did. I, and, and yeah, um, and I, I definitely, um, like to think back to the moment I left the courthouse, there was a juror that came out, um, she, well, she drove by as me and my dad were walking back to the car and she said, um, Angela, do you feel safe now? And I said, I do. And she says, I'm glad. And she drove away. Oh, that's going to make me cry. <laughs> Why does that hit me so hard? Oh my God. Because <sighs> we all deserve to be safe. Like, sh- it's, hard. it's hard. It's hard being a woman and a girl, like being sexualized and groomed from the, t- literally from the time you're born, there's always some creepy old fucker, like looking at you and thinking yeah. sh- like the worst. Yeah. And you should found that. Um, so I want to reiterate that, you know, they're hiding in plain sight. They're out there, um, you know, just thinking that they're not going to get caught. And sometimes they don't. Um, and, you know, it. I, I always think back to this recent story of that woman who, uh, you know, she was in the audience as that pastor was saying, like admitting to an affair and she says no i'm here and i was 16 years old and you've had sex with me on your office floor that's not a that's not an affair you know right um yeah and then everybody in that church laid hands on him and prayed as she walked out the door and so that's that's where our church our modern day churches are right now and um so i don't personally believe in an Abrahamic God. Um, I don't believe that a that the God of the Bible exists. I believe there is a God, but I don't believe that a, an all-loving, all-powerful, omnipotent God would uh, choose to allow these kinds of things to happen. And, um, you know, you can say it's because, um, you know, uh, hurt people hurt people and all those little tags that they say, oh, you know, uh, God didn't hurt you. It was the people that hurt you. Well, I mean, again, if if that God is real, He still allowed it to happen, and right. you know, I go back to that. Um, and He's allowing for these um, evil people just to sit next to your daughters in these churches. And, I mean, literally, He was sitting next to me in church um, during Wednesday night Bible studies. So. Yes, I 100% am with you on all of that. And I don't think um, if there, if Jesus as 
the Jesus and God is the, you know, most fundamentalist Christians believe is the one God. Um, I don't think he would want to be and allow association to these types of people. I don't think that he would be okay with this. He said to suffer the little children to come unto me. He did not say, let's make the little children suffer. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in churches every single day, every single service. All of these little kids are being preyed upon and groomed and abused in the name of Jesus. That's not what Jesus would want if he were here right now. And he wouldn't want you to stay silent when you see the red flags. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing such a vulnerable and I know just a very difficult and still this many years later how raw that can feel and how exhausting it can feel to share stories like that that have taken up a huge majority of your life in some way even if once you're out of that situation the hold it has emotionally and mentally and impacting your life and your mental health is is a lot so even after this I hope like take some time for yourself because you might feel what I call an emotional hangover um so please be kind and and rest and if you need a good cry do that you can call me or reach out or whatever it's it's a lot to um, relive, but I appreciate you being willing to do that here because you're a voice for so many people that have unfortunately been in those same situations and have lived a very similar experience. And it feels very lonely. And you feel, like you said, it's a lot of shame that we attach to those experiences that weren't our fault. And so you're giving a voice to that. And that's that's a beautiful thing and a very powerful thing. And, and you know, helping you reclaim your voice um, and telling it from your experience that isn't influenced by this predator's gaslighting and manipulation. Yeah. And thank you. And I think thank you for you and your platform as well. Um, you know, I'm glad you're interviewing people like me. Um, there's so many stories out there. <laughs> unfortunately but also i'm glad that you're able to do it right when i say the louder we are the harder it is for them to hide so uh, you know there's so many of them that never get that never get arrested or convicted um yes and i'm so happy that was the case here where he was arrested and convicted and locked away um but we've got to still be the voice for those and give hopefully maybe give courage to people to stand their ground and to speak up and to share their stories Mm -hmm. as well um, Absolutely. So I appreciate you greatly for the, for that. Um, and then before we wrap up, I always ask my guests, I, um, I use humor as a catalyst to help process a lot of my trauma, a lot of my pain. Um, that's really the thing I use to metabolize just the horrid experiences that I've had, that I have on my platform. I use a lot of humor. Um, what have you found in your life that has helped you process your own trauma and your pain um and those experiences well um creativity has been a big one um and i i do a whole lot of um arts and crafts and stuff like that but i also um i do a lot of uh i do a lot of work with my um my friend on uh, our business um we do antiques and metaphysical stuff um i 
Uh, I like to make little crafts and sell them, that kind of thing. I travel a lot and sell things on the road. Um, me and my mom are going to be collaborating pretty soon. Um, so I do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and me and my husband like to do a lot of uh, hiking and nature stuff. Um, so we live out in the country in Appalachia. Um, we Last year, we took a tour of uh, West Virginia. That's awesome. Nature is a big one for like grounding and just coming back to self. So I love that. And met- metaphysical stuff right up my alley too. Like, um, and I believe, do you have, do you have a, a shop where people can go support yeah. you? Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, you can find me on Instagram, um, at the restless spirit vintage. Um, so I sell, crystals and little witchy goods and then also vintage items including clothing records uh kitchenware that kind of thing toys old dolls that kind of thing um and you can find me located full-time um at chill coffee antique emporium in chill coffee ohio that's awesome and i'll make sure i link that in the description of the video um so people can easily find you on instagram that'd be great see look i've been I mess with my little amethyst every time I record. This is my little my dinner. Yeah. I was looking at your moon earrings earlier. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I need to, I'm going to go check out your shop and everyone. A great way you can support uh, Angela is visiting her shop as well. I think uh, sharing our stories is an energetic exchange. Um, being able to give energetically to other people is, it does not come free to our selves. Um, so please, if you feel, you know, inspired to and led to, please go visit Angela's shop to support this channel and help me share more stories like Angela's. Go ahead and hit subscribe. And if you would like to share your own story on this channel, you can send me an email at Kendra Lee Bryan at gmail.com.